This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. This is the Gospel according to Lily and Thomas Palfreman. They were in the back of the car, and Thomas was whinging, which he sometimes does. And Lily said, I know everything. And Thomas, no, you don't. You don't know everything. No, you don't. You don't know everything. No, Lily said, Mommy knows everything. No, she doesn't. Mommy doesn't know everything. Mommy doesn't know everything. No, God knows everything. No, he doesn't. God doesn't know everything. God doesn't know everything. Jesus knows everything. Jesus? Jesus is God, says Lily. He's God's son. Jesus? No, he's not. No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's God's son. No, he's not. He's God's cousin. He's God's cousin. God's cousin? What do you mean? God's cousin? He's not God's cousin. He's God's son. No, he's God's cousin. Now, I want you to bear in mind that previously, Lily had asked Helen, does Jesus live in Devon? To which Helen said, no, heaven, not Devon. So if Dan Brown's listening, here's your next book. Jesus is God's cousin and he lives in Devon. There we go. It's amazing. So the gospel according to them. It's amazing. Fab, you couldn't make it up, could you? I only said that because I got another fluffy subject to speak on this morning. I'm going to speak on spiritual pride. Yeah, yeah. And that's taking the wind out of your sails. Nobody's laughing now. But I want, first of all, to read, let me tell you why. So we read Philippians, the first couple of things that play, if you will, please. Back in January, I started to pray this prayer over this church. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And if anybody wants to join with me in praying that prayer over this church, I think at this time, that is the greatest blessing you can be. Because this is what we need if we want to make a difference in the world. And so then I went to Philippians 2, 1 to 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So I'm going to speak mainly out of three three to five, which is really how to be humble. My passion is church. Always has been, and by that I mean, yeah, the global church, but the local church, 
I love the local church. I love the gathering together, and there's lots of us here today. I love the gathering together of the local church. The local church is to be Christ in this world, is to be Christ in this town. That's what we're called to be. And when we start to grow, which is what I said last time, when we grow, when we grow in numbers, Satan hates it. We have an enemy, but we are not to be ignorant of his schemes. So we have to know when he attacks and how he attacks. And last time I said one of the main ways he attacks, the stone he throws in the well to stop the fresh water flowing, is a lack of love among us. And that comes through disunity. And the second huge one, and this is massive, is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, the idea that I'm better than others. Basically, that's what we think it means. When I put this together, I was horrified of how much spiritual pride is in me. So putting this together has shocked me to my roots. So let me start. The tax collector and the Pharisee. We read about it in Luke 18.10. The tax collector goes up to the temple to pray. And he says, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner with his head down. Forgive me. And the Pharisee next to him prays and says, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the tax collector. And at that point, how many of us have thought, Thank God I'm not like the Pharisee. And that, in essence, is spiritual pride. That we consider ourselves better than anybody else. And the man who wrote this, this man is called, the man, rather, the, the, the reference that, when I've studied this, when I've looked and I've read loads of articles, I've listened to it on, on um, YouTube, I've, no, I've listened to quite a bit on this. And then when they all refer back to this man called Jonathan Edwards, now he's not, the Plaid member for Ammonford, <laughs> right? He ain't him. Neither is he the one who won the gold medal during the triple jump at the Olympics, and there was a sports commentator. Not him either. This man is Jonathan Edwards. He was born in 1703. He was in America, in New England, and he was a revivalist. And he said, when he did a study, he brought in these lots of revivals, and when he said, what brought them, what stalled them? What brought them to a stop? And he found it was spiritual pride. The main cause of a of staunch in the revival was spiritual pride. And this is what he said. Now, the language is old, so bear with me. Spiritual pride tends to speak of other persons' sins with bitterness or laughter or levity and an air of contempt. But pure Christian humility rather tends either to be silent about these problems or to speak of them with grief and pity. Spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. <coughs> the proud person is apt to find fault with other believers, that they are low in grace and to be much in observing how cold and dead they are and to be quick to note their deficiencies. But the humble Christian has so much to do at home 
and sees so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not very apt to be very busy with other hearts. He is apt to esteem others better than himself. Isn't that fantastic? So, and he says, there are seven subtle signs of spiritual pride. And that's what we're going to go with, the seven subtle signs of spiritual pride. Do you know, the sin of disunity the church is to deal with. Titus 3.10. Warn a divisive person once, then warn him again. Now the leaders are getting all excited. After that, have nothing to do with them. They are sinning and they know it. Wow. To the person who doesn't work, who is lazy and won't go to work, what does Paul say? If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Stop giving him that money. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. For the sin of immorality, the church is to cast them out until they come to their senses. I've not yet seen that done in church, any of them, and hold fire, boys. I don't think we should be going down that road. But the sin of spiritual pride, God himself deals with. It's so We cannot pick it out in anybody else because it is the hardest sin to discover in ourselves. Wow. We are so inclined to believe that we are good that we fail to see this in us and we fall into the trap. And this is what James 4 says. Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him, speak against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Well, is that what I wanted? There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? When Peter says exactly the same thing, and I was amazed because I'd never really seen. So obviously, for the, and this James is the brother of Jesus, not the, not the um, disciple. So obviously, they both said that's the exact words in 1 Peter as there is in James. So I think it was something that they took pretty seriously, this judging one another. So what are the signs? I'll give you the seven and then I'll go through them. Fault finding, a harsh spirit, superficiality, defensiveness, presumption, desperate for attention and neglecting others. Let me start with superficiality because two of them are really private things. Others are corporate. Superficiality. We're more concerned with our appearance than our hearts. That's the superficiality. So on the surface, I look fine. I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not really concerned <coughs> about my emotions, about my motives, about what's going on inside. Really, I'm very concerned about what you all think about me. You know, so I can act a part, but not actually be the part. Got that? That's simple, isn't it? That is spiritual pride. Hard to believe, isn't it? The other one that I think is, for me, shocked me, because I lived in this for years. And that is desperate for attention. When you're desperate for attention, you really, really only want, I can't find it, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Come here. 
want people to think well of you. It stands in being unable to say no to people. Do you know how long I lived there? When I saw this, I thought, my word, I always thought I had low self-esteem. And quite frankly, I've nothing but spiritually proud. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that shocking? Fearful of what people thought to me. Fearful that if I said no, they'd think bad of me. Fearful that they wouldn't notice me. And it brings in a whole load of other ugly things like jealousy and, oh, why are they having that? And, oh, and you look at yourself and you compare yourself with others. And it's quite horrible, really, when you think of it. And I lived there for so many years, thinking I was just fearful. And I shared this on Wednesday night, actually. Just fearful. But actually, I was proud. I was very concerned that I kept a good name in front of people. And that was my fear, that I would let myself down and they wouldn't think much of me. That's, that's really what it was all about. So, in case you think that I'm perfect by now, let me tell you a story. I came here three weeks ago, and I was on my own clean then. And Helen had said, oh, I'll come and help you. So I said, no, there's nothing going on in church today. This week, it'll be fine. There won't be much to do. Now, I know that Mark is at the end of a phone if I need him to help me, right? I know that. Don't bear that in mind. I walked in. I looked. The bin was overflowing out in the, in the fire. I went, ooh, right? The toilets, I, ooh, right, oh, all the bins are full. I said, what's been happening here then? And I walked in here. And the hat was on the back of my neck rose. There wasn't a chair put out. They were all stacked up against the wall all the way around. The floor was littered in bits right the way through. And I immediately felt... Oh, well, this is it, isn't it? And my back's going to be bad now. Am I going to do all these chairs? Look at my back. And those leaders, they should have known. They should have known that somebody's been here in the week and these chairs are not put back. They should have known. So all the leaders here were to blame because the chairs weren't back. And it took me from the door to the window to grab it all back and say, what on earth are you doing, Irene? You are speaking on this next week. <laughs> what are you doing? And Joyce Meyer's words came to me. Everybody wants a testimony. But when you get a test, all you get are the moonies. And that's where I was. I thought, this is crazy. And the verse that came to me was from Philippians 14 to 16. And it says this. Do all things without arguing and quarreling. You know, that you may shine like stars in a dark world. Thought that's how it goes on. And I thought, oh, well, Irene, just do it. You've got three broofing in your bag. <laughs> so I can't swing the chairs like James around the place. It took me three quarters of an hour to put the chairs out. <laughs> then I sat down with a cup of coffee and three broofing, and I started on the rest. And I woke in the morning, and I thought, oh, what's wrong with my but it was lifting off the chest because whoever had stuck them had stuck them so high I could barely reach them to get them off so can you see it's easy to judge others I know Mark's at the end of a phone but he was to blame that morning because those chairs weren't put out can we do it we fall into the trap but if I'd stayed there 
If that had happened again, I'd have been really angry. And if it had happened after that, I wouldn't be cleaning anymore, would I? Because I would have withdrawn and said, I'm not doing it. They don't care about me. Why should I care about them? So, we're not perfect, but draw it back. So let's go on. Those are two. But let's have a look at fault finding. Matthew 7, um, verse 1 to 6. This is Jesus. Coming up. Coming up. Little cat. There, right. Do not, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Isn't that amazing? Those are the words of Jesus. The easiest thing in the world to do is to point a finger at everybody else. I can go around every single one of you and pick up your flaws. Hmm? All of us. You could wait to me. We've all got flaws. But God doesn't take this lightly. That judgment is tough. Do you know, some of the most amazing men in Scripture were judged by their families. Joseph was called proud by his brothers. Moses was called proud by his brother and sister. David was called proud by his brothers. Joseph probably shows us what forgiveness really is, because at the end he says, you know, what the devil meant for evil, God worked for good. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. Moses, when God heard what his brother and sister were saying, he was furious, because in his eyes, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. David got a cocky brat by his brother when he went to fight Goliath. What are you doing here, you cocky brat, he tells him. David was a man after God's own heart. And sometimes there were assessments of people and not God's assessments of them. So we have to be very, very careful when we read this. Right? It's not God's assessment of people just because I think that and it's huge God says this James tells us this he smites the proud but gives grace to the humble and that smite literally is to knock back to stop them moving forward he will hold you back if you're proud you will not grow God himself takes charge of it so fault finding, picking holes in people, it says the message is wonderful. Don't be quick to jump on another's faults. You know, don't nitpick at people. Don't point fingers at people. And this is what he is saying is, do you know what? If we're humble 
I see so much in me. I haven't got time to point it out in you. Actually, all I can do for you is pray. All I can do for you is pray. I've got to spend a lot of time examining myself because I have no right to examine anybody else. Next is a harsh spirit. We are irritated with people who are not getting it quick enough, who can't overcome things quick enough. They're not, they can't do it like me. I would have finished that by now. Why can't they be where I am? Why are they taking so long to put things right in their lives? And this is what Jonathan Edwards says. Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility as Christ treats them. So we have to be, love is patient, isn't it? So these are the huge things, and we fall into the trap. And when I did this, I thought, oh, my word. You know, I'm practically all of these things. I'm practically, and if we're all perfectly honest, we were all going to fall into a lot of them, you know? So I'm hugely convicted by what I'm telling you, because the church is to be Christ on earth. It's not to be this. No, we prayed for people who are desperately needy, desperately needy in Jesus, you know? The church should be healthy so that when they come here, that's what they find. They don't find bickering. They don't find fault-finding. They don't find any of those things. But they can come to somewhere which is peace and love and joy and all the things, and Satan wants to spoil, and you may have it. I'm not saying it's not here, but the devil wants to spoil it, and if we let him, he'll take it from us, and we won't grow in any way. And the next thing is defensiveness. And this is posture when challenged or rebuke. This is the one I have found most in the church. There are some people, some of the prickliest people I've ever met, have been people who are quite prepared to tell you exactly what they think of you. And pick a fault there and say there, and I told him what I thought, and this is my opinion. But wow, they reserve that right only for themselves. You are not to challenge them in any way. And I remember doing it once, and I went to this person and I, I simply said, do you really think that he meant that? And she railed at me. What do you think I feel like now, you telling me that? And I thought, oh, my word. <laughs> this has got nothing to do. It's all to do with your feelings. Everything's to do with your feelings. You know? So don't be defensive. And can I speak to the young people, to the youth? Now you get cooler people than me speaking to you, don't you? But I don't love you as much as I do, right? Because I've got a vested interest in you. So they don't matter how cool they are. They don't love you like I do. And you over there, I love you too. Right? Those two little ones hiding in the back over there. Right? Let me give you three little points. You all went to Kevin Lee, and I know some of you wanted to become full-time leaders. Let me give you three little points. One, learn to sit under authority. Learn to take telling. Take it. Listen when people tell you off, when people tell you, don't want it done that way, when people tell you, do you know what, I think you got that wrong. Learn to listen, learn to sit under authority. Because if you won't sit under authority, you'll never be given, or rather you will be given authority, but you'll be bad at it. 
Because for the people I know who have been like this and who have never been under authority, you will turn out to be a bully when you're given authority. You'll be so used to having your own way and not being challenged and not allowing anybody to correct you that you'll end up a bully when you're in leadership. I've seen it in nursing and I've seen it in the church. You will end up a bully. Number two, it's only short. Number two, let me get it right now, what doesn't say? Um, learn to roll with the punches. Learn to roll with the punches. Not everybody's going to think you're a beauty pr- uh, beautiful princess and a handsome prince. There's a world out there, they're going to think you're buzzing, you're a lord, and oh, there's something wrong with him. Right? Let's be honest. That's what the world's going to say. They're not going to be like your parents. Oh, handsome prince, Joseph Barry, handsome prince. <laughs> not going to be that, is he? <laughs> you know? Lily, beautiful geese, little beautiful girl. Oh, beautiful girl. Two handsome boys, only one beautiful girl. The world doesn't think like that. The world isn't going to treat you like that. You're going to be knocked. And if you're in leadership, you're going to be knocked a lot. You're going to be hit hard when you're in leadership. I've even been criticised in the past, seriously, criticised in the past for looking nice when I'm preaching. (laughs) Now, for some unfortunate reason, she thought, I don't know what. So if you want me to wear a bin bag next time I speak, just tell me. But, you know, that is the absolute truth. Somebody said, well, Irene always looks nice when she's preaching. And well, well, what do you expect her to dress like this? So, you know, there's some craziness out there. So learn to roll with the punches. Because you're going to get some hard knocks if you want leadership. And two, three, be patient. Because your time isn't yet. Because the leadership, I think, isn't about ready to give up for a start. But be patient. Because God is far more concerned with building godly character into you than he is with your ministry. All right? That's what this is about. This is about building godly character into people so that we behave as we should behave as Christians. Not perfect, not perfect, but at least we can recognize when we're getting it wrong. The prayer to recognize what is important and what is not important and to do what is important, to choose the important. So for the youth, really, for you, Mother, because you're going to grow up quick, you're going to have to grow up quick. I really think this generation is going to need to grow up quick in the faith. Because time is short. Time is very short. So three things. Sit under authority and accept it. Roll the punches. And be patient. God will give you your time in his time. And I might get this wrong, because I usually mix them up. Joseph was 19 years between the pit and the palace took him 19 years. Moses was 40 years in a desert. And David was 14 years before he was king of the whole of Israel. So God takes his time with us. He's building godly character into us far more than he's building our ministries. Right? So take care. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You know? Don't fall behind. You know? Don't be defensive. Next one is presumption before God. Often follow success. Often follow success. We think we can cope with the little things 
because God was meaning the big things. Yeah? This presumption before God. If you want to know about this, you need to go to Joshua. Joshua had just defeated Jericho. It was a huge thing. Jericho was a fortified city. It had never been defeated before. It is said that the walls of Jericho were so thick that you could run a, a chariot race around them. That's how thick they were. And they, they saw them implode just by blowing a few trumpets. So they'd seen the miracle. So when it came to the next one, you read about this in Joshua 7. The next one was a little town called Ai. And the scouts went out and they thought, we can easily take that. Only a few men. We'll easily take that. 30,000 Israelites died at that. And Joshua's on his face and he's crying before God. And God comes from these are his words. Get up. What are you doing down there? Israel has sinned and you should have known. The presumption, because Achan had stolen the sacred things and hidden them in the tent. And Joshua, as the leader, should have known what was happening in his own place. So this is the thing. When we don't go to God for the small things, we miss what God is trying to tell us. We miss the fact that, hey, there's something there you need to be putting right first. Do you know, before you go out and start in the world, start putting your own church right. Do you know, before you start doing that, start dealing with this problem. And if we go to God and allow God to speak to us, he tells us what to deal with in our lives. We're struggling sometimes to get to the next step because we're not dealing with what we need to be doing now. Are you with me? We sort of ignore that. Or, I've done that. You know, God's now called me into this. Well, hang on. I want you to deal with this first year. Like that business with me, walking across here in my horrors. I mean, in my absolute horrors. <laughs> you know, how can I get up here and preach this message? I hadn't dealt with that there. The sheer presumption to think that God's in it at any point, isn't there? It's hypocrisy to come up here and say, this is what you should all be doing. But on me, I'm livid with the leaders, actually. That's for me. You know, they didn't care about me. So we deal with the little things in our lives. Those small little things in our lives first. I mean, what they did was a huge thing, mind. I'm just saying small. And, and before we can go up to the next battle. So arrogance, it says here. This is arrogance. I read this. To rely on our own subjective feelings rather than the objectivity of God's word to direct us. And that's what Joshua did. We rely on what we think and what we feel rather than what God's word said. It says to trust in our own insight rather than God and to not yield to God's will. I was going to call all of this, ah, yes, but. Nah, you know, God's word says this, ah, yeah, but. You know, you don't understand. Yeah, but it says in the Bible, ah, yeah, but. I, you don't know what I've been through. Well, you know what this, oh, yes, but I don't really think it means that. We can have an oh, yes, but about everything. You know, oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, um, I, I, I don't think that. And, uh, do you know how many times I've heard this? People argue with the, my cousin says a wonderful thing. She says, I believe every word that God says in here. She told me this well back. I believe this Bible. I believe God's word absolutely. But I have fought against it. And I have willfully disobeyed it at times. But I still believe it. 
And I think that is far more honest than an ah, yes, but. All right? At least she is saying, I believe it, but sometimes I'll disobey because I want to go my own way. That's honesty. But saying, oh, yeah, I don't think I should, you know, you should forgive, oh, yeah, but, you know, you don't understand. That's not. That's spiritual pride. There's a huge difference in the two things. So, no presumption before God. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. The last one is neglecting others. Oh. Preferring others over others. And this is, you pick the people you think can really get you somewhere. So this is horrible. When you see this happen, this is horrible. You know, because God goes, Jesus goes, whosoever, you can come. All who are weary and heavy burden can come. Anyone who's thirsty can come and drink. All of you can come. Behold, I stand at the door knocking. Any man who hears my voice can come in. Jesus isn't ashamed, afraid, or worried about anybody joining the church. And we go. Might spoil us if you come in. You might spoil my little clique if you come into us. You might not have the same sense of humor, and then we won't enjoy it quite as much as it. A clique is the worst thing you can find in the, in the church. It is so not like Jesus, it's unbelievable. A clique will hold everybody else out. Only my little group. Only my little group. Only people who think like me. Only people who act like me. Sometimes only people who dress like me. Only people who have my opinions. Only people have my sense of humor. It's the worst thing you can do in church. There's nothing of Jesus in a church that says, you don't really belong here. Nothing. Because Jesus' arms are open and it's all who may can come. You know, and I'm not talking about friendship. Friendship is something totally and absolutely different. But if we're holding church and we say, do you know what? If you can help me get where I want to go, I'll give you the front seat. You know? If you can help me, you can come in. If you've got a bit of money that you can give to the church, ooh, you can have what you want. If you've got that gift I want to use at the front, you can come. You can't do anything. Well, I'm not really bothered whether you're here or not, really. That's what that is. It's just about the worst thing you could see in a church. And if you ever see it, ever, ever, ever see an inkling of it, the light has come. <laughs> in this church, if you ever see it in this church, I will tell you now, run for the hills. Because you are not with Jesus. You are not with him at all. So, how do we deal with it? It's easy saying what it is. Come on, Fion, I want to get on with it. There, thank you. Right. <laughs> how do we deal with it then? How do we get It's easy telling you what it is, isn't it? It's very easy. You know, I've seen myself in practically all of those things. Oh, my kitty aunt, you know. Is there any hope for me? Yeah. Come to Romans, there's lots of hope for me. Christ did it. So how do we do it? Let's have a look at Jacob. Andrea spoke to him last week. Stole my under. My own daughter. Said a lot of what I wanted to say, I must say. Jacob had to wrestle with God. All right? 
when Jacob comes back, and Andrew told you the story, so I'm not going to say it all. But when he, he's in this place of wrestling with God, and that's what you have to do. With, if, if, these, if you're in any of these things, you've got to wrestle. That is the big thing. And it's hard work. Wrestling is hard. You know, they get thrown about a lot. Jacob's hip was thrown out of place. That's why he walked with a limp. You know, it's, it's pretty tough, this wrestling business. Not that I watch WWE, <laughs> but, you know, I quite like to look at them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, don't they? Nice. I like big men. I like big men. So, <laughs> I don't like skinny men. I must be honest. Tell you from the front, I don't like skinny men. Right. So, when you wrestle, this is tough, right? And he couldn't go to God and say, Do you know what? You chose me when I was in my mother's womb. You said that the younger would, 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 that the older would serve the younger. You said that I would have the birthright and the blessing. When you took me to Bethel, you said you would bring me back to this place and all the promises of Abraham would be given me. You said all that to me. He couldn't go to God with what God already knew about him. You can't face God with what you want to be. Right? You can't face God with all his promises for you. And sometimes that's all you hear in churches, isn't it? All oh, the promises God has got for you. Oh, you're anointed. I know you're called. I know you're going to be great, you know, and you're going to be wonderful. And all of that stuff goes on. Right? But actually, that's not what you can take to God. Because when he faced God, God had to tell him, he said, who are you? And God said, who are you? And who are you? when nobody's looking. That's what this is. Who are you when nobody's looking at you? And you can't go. You have to say, I'm Jacob, and I'm sorry, Jacob, for saying this. Your parents shouldn't have called you Jacob. But <laughs> because, you know, Jacob means supplanter, grabber. He was manipulative. He was a deceiver. And that's what he had to face God with. This is who I am, what his name denoted, a manipulative, deceiving grasper. That's who he was. He had to say who he was before he could become who he was meant to be, which was Israel. So when we go to God, you can't go to God saying, you called me to be this. We go to God saying, do you know what? I'm a little bit judgmental. As a matter of fact, I'm a lot judgmental. I'm a bit prickly. I don't like being told anything. I'm a bit whatever you are. I'm presumptuous. I don't come to you enough to rely on you. You go to God with all your faults. When Jesus washed the feet of Judas, Peter was there and he said, don't wash my feet, wash my head. Jesus said, your head is clean. I don't need to wash that. I need to wash the feet that are dirty. And we like to go to God with our shiny bits. We like to tell him what we want to do for him. We want to ask him to help us do it. But we don't want to bring those bits that we're ashamed of out into the open, not even before God. But if you want a new name, if you want to move on, if you want to become what God wants you to become, then you have to go to him with who you really are. And that is the only way. And then you will walk with a limp. And I don't even have to act a limp with my hips and my back and my knees. <laughs> right? But you'll walk with a limp. 
you'll never again rely on the things you relied on in the past. You won't be able to. God will have touched you so deeply that you know who you are now. And the greatest thing to growth, spiritual growth in yourself, is knowing who you really are. Know who you really are. It's only then can you become who you nearly need to be. Because he walked with a limp. And even when he was blessing the 12 tribes, yeah, the worship team can come up now if you like. Even when he was blessing the 12 tribes, it says he knelt leaning on his staff. He couldn't even give the blessing without relying on God. And that was a prophecy that he was prophesying over his sons. He couldn't prophesy on them without relying wholly on God. This Satan wants to destroy the church and your potential. He wants to take us out of the game. That's his whole <coughs> aim, is to take us out of the game. Don't be ignorant of the way he deals with us. Because these are tough things, and I recognize they're tough. And I've asked, why me? Why, me? why have I got to say all this? Give it a Phil to say. Give it a Mark to say. Give it to somebody else to say. Why me? But if you're asked to say it, you've got to say it. You'll never grow. We'll never grow if we allow him to attack us. And when we get the test, all we get is the moanies. We won't grow. So, better to walk with a limp than to displease God. That's all I can say. Learn to walk with your limp. You get there. Israel achieved everything he was meant to achieve. He was the father of the 12 tribes, now the nation. I want us all to achieve it. I want the youth to get there. I want you to get it. I don't want you to lose it because some devil in hell has come in and made you feel bitter or bad or resentful or presumptuous. I want you to get it. I want the church to get it so that people who need Jesus can come here and go out and say, come see a man, not come see the church. What good is a church to anybody? Come see a man. Come see a man and let him tell you all. He'll tell you all about yourself. That's what we need to be. The church, the people will go out from here and say, do you know what? I met Jesus in there. Come and meet him with me. I want you to see our worship, great as they are. That's passing. We don't want to see any of that. They want to see Jesus. That's why we need to be the church. Wacts and feels like Jesus. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.